looking at today is on the inside back cover of your bulletin. There's also a place to take notes there. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 5. Our focus is going to be verse 5 today, but we're going to start in verse 1 just to catch the context. <clears throat> so 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 5. Friends, listen. This is God's word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. This is God's word. <clears throat> so we're talking today about athletes. Athletes. I want to show you just a couple of athletes here up on the screen. These are athletes who have something in common. They cheated. They cheated. Some of these are more familiar to you than others. We have Lance Armstrong. He fought and he beat cancer in this amazing a bout with cancer, but then he went on to win the Tour de France seven years in a row, more than any other person in history. But then over the years, teammate confessions, investigation, and intense media pressure ultimately led Lance Armstrong to confess to one of the most sophisticated drug doping schemes uh, in cycling history. And because of that, he lost his titles, and he is now currently enveloped and enswarmed by lawsuits that could cause him to go bankrupt. And we have Barry Bonds. He's hit more home runs than anyone else in baseball history, but his achievements and his career are tarnished by steroid use. In the middle, Ben Johnson and Marion Jones. These are two Olympic athletes who won gold medals, but they also took drugs and so forfeited their medals and their records. Marion Jones has also served jail time for lying about what she did. And then this other one's crazy here at the top. Uh, this runner is actually two runners, Sergio and Fika Matsuneng. They are twin brothers who entered South Africa's 56-mile ultrathon some years ago, but they entered as one person. One of the guys ran the first half of the race, went into a porta potty, out came his brother, and finished the race. What's really awful is that they came in ninth. <laughs> so, finally, uh, the figure skater, Tanya Harding, she took cheating to a whole nother level when she hired someone. She ordered a hit on her competition. She actually paid and hired somebody to injure Nancy Kerrigan um, and did it, which left her able, and she won the 1994 national championship in figure skating. So, and then she got found out, and she's mud. Each of these athletes cheated to win, and they were disqualified. Paul is saying the same thing is true in the Christian life. He's saying, if you don't live by the rules, you will not win. If you don't live by the rules, you won't win. That's the point he's making here in this single verse. Now, we saw this a couple weeks ago. Next slide. We saw this. Grace has no conditions, but it does have direction. Right? Salvation from God is free, but it has a direction to it. 
And so the point here that Paul is making is that you can't cheat and then win with God. You can't cheat and win with God because when you cheat, you're actually not aiming for God anymore. Okay? We're going to think about this. The grace of God directs our life toward knowing him, toward experiencing him. And when we cheat, we are not aiming toward him anymore. And when I think about this, athletes who cheat, they're actually competing for something different. Okay, when you begin to cheat, what you're doing is different from what everyone else is doing in some significant ways. Track with me. Um, I think there's something really transcendent in sports. I think sports is, is something that, that it shows us the image of God. It shows us some, some really amazing things about life. Uh, there's joy in sports. There's exhilaration in competing. And there's something deeply satisfying in pushing yourself to your physical and psychological limits and even going beyond your limits in competition. Competition can bring out the best of us in significant ways that ought to be celebrated. But when people cheat, there's something else that's going on. Because they're no longer competing for a medal, just for a medal, or just for a championship. They're competing now for fame, right? They're competing now for money. Maybe they're driven by an inordinate need for accomplishment, an inordinate need to prove themselves or be accepted by someone. And we know that their goals are different because they're cheating. Right? Cheating is playing by a different set of rules. And the rules that you follow, the rules that you hold yourself to, they're a window into your heart. Okay, They're a window into your heart. And so here's the first blank to fill in on your outline. In the next slide. The rules you follow show the goal you're chasing. The rules you follow show the goal you're chasing. When you cheat, all of a sudden your need to win has has gone up. You're not playing just for the competition. You're not competing just to be able to see the best that you can do. But now there's something else going on. And the rules that you follow show the goal you're chasing. Now, we can see this in the workplace. Right? Even in the workplace, the rules of a company show the goals that they're chasing. It's felt in the culture that companies create. Just a couple of quick examples of this. Um, I read some articles this week about Amazon, Amazon.com, uh, really one of the most incredible companies that give customers the most amazing experience. And, and their actual stated mission is to be the most customer-centric company on the planet. Okay? That's what they want as part of their rules. And what's interesting is that in Amazon, at Amazon, according to the folks that I read this week, <clears throat> was that the rules are that the customer comes first, even to the detriment of the employee. Okay? The customer comes first, even to the detriment of the employee. And because of that rule, they have created a culture that is so stressful that causes so much pressure to be put on their employees that they have one of the highest turnover rates in all of Fortune 500 companies. People don't stay there. Um, One article I read, there's an employee who's been there for 18 months, and already 36% of the employees at Amazon joined the company after this person came on board in 18 months. And there are people who just talk about the abusive culture that Amazon has 
to their employees. So it's the rules that they follow show the goal. And in this case, the goal is customer to the detriment of employee. Now the flip side would be like Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines, uh, the founder, the CEO, he's not there anymore, but Herb Kelleher, he actually said that his philosophy, his rule was, we take care of our employees first. Because we know if we have happy employees, they will make happy customers. And that's seen in the culture. It's seen in the, in, in the, in the goal. Like the goal is shown in the culture of the company because people at Southwest have fun. They enjoy working there. And Southwest is consistently at the top of the best places to work in our country. And so it happens in the workplace, but it also happens to us in our personal lives. Okay? The rules that we live by actually can become our goal. Right? If our goal is money, then the decisions that we make and the rules that we live by will be dominated by how much something costs or doesn't cost. Right? <clears throat> this is something that I deal with. Something I struggle with. If our goal is pleasure, right? If our goal is pleasure, then the rules that we live by are going to be dominated by what makes us feel good or doesn't make us feel good. How much pleasure do we get or not? Now this verse, again, verse 5 in 2 Timothy 2, it's teaching us that if God is our goal, then the rules that we follow should also lead us to God. Okay, and this, this impacts the kind of leaders that God wants us to be. And so, our first point that we're going to see here is that leaders worth following commit both to God and his rules. Okay, so from God's perspective, leaders worth following commit both to God and his rules. Okay, it's not enough to say I, don't, it's not enough to say I love God if you don't follow God's ways. Okay, that seems kind of obvious, but so many of us live lives where we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I love Jesus, yeah, I follow Jesus, but we don't spend a whole lot of time following God's rules. Right? Next slide, 1 John 2, 4 and 5. It says it plainly. Whoever says, I know him, talking about God, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, truly the love of God is perfected. This is just integrity, right? If you say you love God, it should show in your life. Your love for God should be demonstrated uh, as you follow his ways. Now, for Timothy, <clears throat> Timothy struggled with this in his life. Timothy was in the midst of dealing with this struggle um, and so what Paul is telling Timothy in this letter is he's saying, look, Timothy, when you leave God's rules, you're not aiming for God anymore. If you don't follow God, you're, just, you're not heading in his direction. You're not moving toward him. Paul's saying God's rules create a path that leads toward him and toward a greater experience of him. And if you're not on this path, then you're not moving toward him and you won't reach him. God's rules create a way of life that leads to him. That's what his rules are designed for. Now, Timothy's struggle is somewhat similar to ours. Timothy wanted to follow God, but he didn't want to stay on God's path. He wanted God, but he didn't want what comes with following God. And so Timothy had developed sort of another set of rules that governed how he lived. 
And so we can think about this like lanes on a track. So the next slide. So these are part of the rules that Timothy seems to have been living by. I don't want to die. <laughs> I don't want to suffer. Right? I don't want to have to be bold in my life. These are some of the rules that Timothy was living by. You know, I'm ashamed of Paul. I don't want to associate with Paul or with the gospel that he is preaching. And then Timothy to struggle. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. <clears throat> These are the rules that were governing Timothy's life. These are the rules that Timothy was living by. And Paul is saying these are not God's rules. These are not God's rules. Instead, what Paul wants Timothy to, to, to re-embrace is God's rules, which is the next slide, which says, I'll do whatever God wants. If you want to know how to compete according to the rules, this is one way to describe it. I will do whatever God wants. This is what it means to have Jesus as Lord of your life, right? To say that you love him, but you're not willing to follow him is a lie. God's path includes determining in your life that, God want, that what God wants is the most important thing. Okay, that's part of what it means to be a Christian. To commit to God means to commit to his ways. And so from Timothy... <clears throat> for Timothy, we see that whatever God wants is that it includes suffering, right? And we've seen that. We've understood that God's path includes suffering. So let me give you just a little bit of a fuller description of God's rules. So we, we, we saw this last week, but it bears looking at again. God's rules are God's path. It's, it's kind of simple. These are the things that God says are required for all of us um, to be on his path. Worship. Community, spiritual maturity, so a growing and deepening sense of being like Jesus, um, serving others, and then making disciples. That's both sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus, and then it's helping people who do know Jesus to know him better. Right? This is God's path. And so Paul is making it clear that these paths, I mean, in this verse, he's saying these paths lead to different places. Paul is saying if you want the crown, you need to compete according to the rules. And so God's path leads to the crown of eternal life. It leads to the, the, the crown of God in all of his fullness, knowing him and being with him forever. These other paths lead to death. These other paths lead to separation from God. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, if you want to win compete according to God's rules. If you want to get to God, you need to be on the path that leads to God. And so, leaders worth following <clears throat> commit both to God and his rules. Uh, our second point today, next slide, is that the path and rules you choose taste like the goal. Okay? The path and rules you choose taste like the goal. Another way to say this is that the future will characterize the present. 
The future that you're aiming at, what you're aiming for, will influence what you experience today. Okay, both for good and for bad. That the path will taste like the goal that you're heading toward. So, for instance, if I'm on the path that's characterized by fear and suffering, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, a fear of suffering or a fear of what other people are going to think of me, if I'm on the path that has me ashamed of Jesus or afraid of speaking up, then my path is going to be characterized by fear, right? My life is going to be characterized by uncertainty and timidity. Because I can't put my life in jeopardy. That's part of my rules, right? I don't want to die. I don't want to suffer. And so I'm going to avoid those things that might lead me to suffer. I can't speak up if other people are going to disagree with me. I'm not going to be able to support the good things that I see if I know that I'm not going to be received or I'm not going to be approved by other people. Right? And... <clears throat> I mean, the flip side of this isn't just that your life will be characterized by fear, but you actually will not be able to be the person that God wants you to be. There is so much in you that God wants to bring to life. There is so much that's in you that God wants to display for the world, that God wants, God wants things in you to come out and to bless other people. But if you live a life of fear and timidity, if you live a life of being more concerned about what other people think than what God thinks, then who you are will never fully manifest. You will never be who God's made you to be. That hurts you and it hurts the people that you love. And these things, <clears throat> these things are us tasting death. Right? If God wants you to be the full-orbed person that he created you to be, if God wants your gifts to be able to bless other people, then to not be able to do that is to suffer in a different way. Right? It's to suffer from not being who God wants you to be. That's death. Right? That's a taste of death. Now, the opposite, again, is also true. If you're committed to God and his path, then you'll experience him in the here and now. You'll experience him in your daily life, right? If you worship God, then you will draw close to him. You'll sense his presence. If you're in community, you'll experience the life and the personality of God through others, right? As you mature, right, thinking about God's, uh, God's path, as you mature, you become more like Jesus. You actually experience more of what he's like. If you serve others, right, in service, you're doing what Jesus does and did. And in making disciples, you're actually helping other people to know him. And so you will know him better. And so following God's path actually gives you a greater experience of God in the here and now. Even before you see God face to face. And so both of the paths, the path that leads to death, tastes like death. The path that leads to life and to lead to God tastes like life. It tastes like God. In the heyday of USC football in the early 2000s, there was this amazing culture that permeated their, pro their football program, and it was a culture of winning. And you could taste it if you were around the program. Right? So freshman athletes would join the team, and they'd never won anything, 
at USC before, but they could feel it. It was, there was this expectation. Even though they hadn't won a championship yet, um, they could enter the locker room and they could just feel it in the air. There was a confidence. And, and it wasn't, what's interesting about USC football, because I've had a chance to know some people who um, were closer to the USC football program and I got to hear um, some of the backstory with the program. Um, that program wasn't just about winning. It was actually uh, a component of the program. I'm not saying they're perfect and there's all kinds of, you know, there's haters out there. But, um, <clears throat> but there, was a, there was a commitment to people and to the, to the athletes themselves that characterized that. And it caused people to flourish. It caused them to be great. And there was this expectation that was a taste of the championships that they won and, the, and the, the records and the bowl games that they won year after year after year. And so <clears throat> if this is the case, right, that there are these paths and one path leads to God, these other paths lead to death, and the paths that we, the, the God's path actually tastes like God now, why don't we choose God's path, right? Why don't we stay on God's path once we get on it? This leads us to point three. So the next slide. Next one. We struggle with God's path because it's hard and inconvenient. I know you didn't know this coming in. (laughs) Deep and profound. You have to study the Greek and the Hebrew and the Bible to understand this, really. The reason we struggle with God's path is because it's hard and it's inconvenient. Okay? Let's just admit it. God's path is hard and it's inconvenient. This path calls for suffering. To follow God's path requires two things that when we're honest, we just don't want to give. Right? Those two things are time and effort. To get on God's path, to stay on God's path, requires time and effort. Now, time is our most valuable possession, right? Time is our most valuable possession. We don't want to commit to anything unless we're sure it's like the best thing, right? We get an invitation and we sit on it for three weeks because, well, what if something better comes up, right? We can't commit to anything. Um, and it's, it's in part because we want to make sure we're spending our time well. We don't know if this is actually what we want to do. Right? Our time is so valuable. It's so precious to us. And being committed to God's path, think about this, being committed out to God's path requires time. Worship. Right? Community. Maturity. Growing to be like Jesus. Serving. And making disciples. Right? Sharing your faith and helping people grow. Like that takes time, doesn't it? It takes time, and and I think the reality is that we don't want to give it. We don't want to devote time to God's path. Or, yeah, like an hour and a half is fine. We'll be here on Sunday. I think, as I've thought through, like, how much time it takes to walk on God's path, Right? It takes 150 hours a week. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It doesn't. <clears throat> I'm kidding. There's only like 144 hours in a week, so it's not possible. 
outside of your commitment to honor God at work, which is a big thing, right? Outside of sleeping, which I think actually is part of God's path, right? Which we talked about last week. Um, but outside of your work, I think that God's path probably requires somewhere around the scope of about seven hours a week. Okay? And I'm not going to go into detail here because I want to create a legalistic system for your life, but I just want you to feel what it's like to be committed to God's path. Right? I mean, it seems like it would be spending time with God every day. Right? Reading the Bible, praying. 15 minutes a day, it's 105 minutes a week. Okay, that's close to two hours. Um, Church, being here at church is important to worship, to be in community, right? That's about an hour and a half, two hours if you actually say hi to somebody after the service, right? Spending time in life group. Again, disciple making, community, growing like Christ. Like all of these things are part of God's path. And you find them when we gather together in, in our life groups in ways that don't happen here on Sundays, right? So that's another two hours, right? And so two, four, six, we're at six hours. And then if you're going to be investing in anybody, right, in any person that you want to share the gospel with who doesn't know Jesus, or if you want to spend time helping someone else grow to be more like Jesus, or if you're going to invest in helping and having somebody else disciple you, well, that's probably another hour a week. So there you get to seven hours, Okay, church, life group, spending time with God, 15 minutes a day, um, and then spending time in discipleship, right? It's about seven hours a week. Are you willing to give God that much time? It's a question that you want to ask yourself. Am I willing to give God that much time of my week? Paul says if you don't compete according to the rules, you will not receive the crown. But it's not just time, right? And, and sometimes the, the time thing is actually an effort thing. Sometimes it's about effort, right? We buy into the rule that our spiritual life is supposed to be easy. If our spiritual life requires effort, then we check out. <clears throat> we just, it's a lie. We believe this. If we have to exert any effort, then either we're doing it wrong or God shouldn't make any demands on our life because isn't salvation free? And I would say, yes, of course salvation's free. You don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. But you're committing to follow Jesus, right? Grace doesn't have conditions, but it does have a direction. It directs us to follow Jesus and to compete and to live according to the rules, if you think that your spiritual life should take no effort, then you will never, ever be strong. Right? <clears throat> Anybody, any athlete that's worth their salt. I mean, if you went into the gym and you saw them, like, curling two-and-a-half-pound weights. Right? You know, they get on the bench press, right? They lay down, they're pressing up a broom handle. You know, I mean, in some, I think some of us kind of live our Christian lives this way, honestly. There are times when we think if it's hard, it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be difficult. I shouldn't have to exert myself. I shouldn't have to sacrifice. I shouldn't have to commit to something that isn't easy. And I'm just here to tell you that that's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. 
thinking back to USC football, it's during the grueling practices, right? It's during the hardest times of competing. Like, that's when they can taste the victory that comes. Because what they've realized is, they've realized, okay, wait, wait, this is why we're going to win. It's because we're working harder than anyone else. It's because we are competing according to the rules of champions. <clears throat> and they know, they know, it's because they're exhausted, it's especially the hard times, that's what actually equips them to their ultimate goal. The difficult work, the sacrifice, the commitment, that's what makes them so great. And I would say the same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us, friends. It's when it's hardest, it's when it's most difficult that we actually learn the most about God, right? That we change the deepest. So, <clears throat> do you want this path? Do you want God's path or not? And if you don't want God's path, if you don't want to put forth the time and the effort, whatever way it looks in your life, if you don't want that path, what else do you want? Like, think about that. What else do you want? Like, what is it that you want more than God's path? Like, really, I want you to think through that because as clear as you can answer that question for yourself <clears throat> about what do I want that's off of God's path, the more clear you are on that, the more you'll be able to understand your life and the decisions that you make. I think these are, are, are good. The, the, let me give you these three questions that once you've understood, like, this is what I want that I think is not on God's path, um, these questions will help you to deal with those things once you've identified them. So, next slide. These are questions to ask yourself. First, do you really want this more than God? Ask yourself that question. Figure out what it is. Is it pleasure? Is it, um, is it some kind of sin? Is it um, just the ability to not have to be accountable to anybody? To be able to just do what you want and do kind of whatever you feel like it, whenever you feel like it. Like, whatever it is, do you really want this more than you want God? I mean, it's a good question, because if you're a child of God, then chances are you're going to go, wait, hold on, no. <laughs> wait a minute, I don't want this more than God, and wow, now I understand that what I'm doing here is I'm choosing between God and this thing, ye. That's a different question. Now that I see the question this way, I might choose differently, Right? If you're not a Christian, this can kind of help you understand part of what the call to the, the, what the call of Jesus actually means in your life. It does mean putting some things down, letting some things go, turning from some things in this direction to going down the path toward God. <clears throat> and so first you want to ask yourself, do I really want this more than God? And then secondly, this is, a, this, is a good, this is a really good question to ask. Does this fit with God's path? Okay? And the reason it's important to ask this question is because sometimes it actually is. Sometimes the things that you think are not on God's path are actually on God's path. Okay? I'm not saying this is true about everything. I'm not saying that just because you think it, it is. Um, 
But maybe it does fit because remember, remember we talked about last week that God's path includes rest and celebration, right? God's path includes working and resting, right? All athletes do this. It's stress and release, right? The best athletes know the importance of rest. They understand in order to achieve the greatest goal, in order to achieve top performance, they have to rest and rest well, right? The same is true with God. One day in seven, he says, stop and rest. Every day, there's a morning and then there's an evening, and in the evening, you stop working, right? There are rhythms that God has built in, and then there's celebration, right? You can surf, you can enjoy life, you can celebrate people, you can celebrate by, by, you, can, you can enjoy entertainment, right? This is all part of God's path, okay? The issue is just, are you making sure that your life isn't inordinately consumed with rest and celebration, right? You got to make sure you're getting to the other things also. And so you want to ask yourself, does this fit with God's path? Because if it does, you're golden, I mean, seriously, if it does, then you can engage in those things and turn around and say, God, thank you that I can do these things that I love and enjoy. And God's sitting there going, yeah, that's awesome. Way to go. I'm with you. And then your actual celebration or your resting becomes part of living on God's path. Are you with me? That's good news. It's good news. So do you really want this more than God? Does this fit with God's path? And then third... If it doesn't fit with God's path, why do you want it? Why do you really want it? Do you think it will make you happy? Because it won't. If it's not on God's path, it's not going to make you lastingly happy. It isn't actually helping you on the path to God. It won't last it won't last. So you ask yourself these questions, and I think they help you get into a place where you can make a wiser decision about the way you spend your time and and, and what you do. And so at this point, there's one other thing that I want you to know about God's path. Okay? There's one way on to God's path, and that one way is actually the way to get back on to God's path. Okay, and that one way is repentance. It's repentance. Repentance is a biblical word that just means that you turn. You turn from one direction to another direction. And so repentance is the way to turn from whatever you're doing that's not on God's path. Repentance is getting back onto God's path and following God. And we can do this because Jesus is actually on this path. On the path. Jesus isn't just at the end of the path, but he is on the path. And he's waiting for you to come back. Um, Getting back on literally just means admitting that you've walked off the path. And for those of you who aren't Christians, that can mean that you are just deciding, okay, you know what, I've been off the path. I've been off of God's path for years and years and years, or maybe my whole life. And Jesus, I'm ready to come back on. I'm sorry that I've lived my life apart from you. 
I'm sorry that I've walked and I've been on a path that doesn't lead to you. I want to come back onto your path. Jesus says, fantastic, I forgive you and I welcome you and I will give you the strength that you need when times get tough. And I'll give you people, brothers and sisters and a family that can support you on the path because you can't do it on your own. And then for those of you who are Christians, and it's kind of like what Chad was saying earlier, where you have these different areas of your life, and maybe in some areas you're on the path, and in other areas of your life you're not. Jesus is waiting at the point where you left. And he's just saying, come back. Come back. Confess your sin. Confess that you've been going on a different path and come back. Jesus will give you the strength. He welcomes you back with open arms. He gave his life. He gave his life. His path included eternal separation from God on the cross so that you don't have to experience that. So come back. Because an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that wherever we are, you're on the path. Thank you for welcoming us back with open arms. And Jesus, we know, we know that your arms have been pierced, that as your hands are outstretched, there are holes in them because you took for us the punishment that we deserve. We left the path and you experienced the death so that we could come back and experience you and eternal life. Jesus, would you help us to leave behind the paths that don't lead to you? Would you give us the strength to stay on the path? And would you help us to be able to make specific decisions today about areas of our lives where we want to come back to you. Jesus, we know that, the, that you have a crown waiting for us and that you will crown us with life and righteousness. You will crown us with blessing and vindication and an inheritance of a perfected world where everything is made new. And Jesus, we long for that crown. And as we pursue it, you give us the taste of it so that we know what's coming in the future. And may our, Jesus, would you make it so that our delight in what's coming and the taste that we have here in this life, Jesus, could you make it so that those tastes and that future would keep us on the path? And I pray that you would help us this week to devote the time that it takes to walk with you and to follow your ways. Jesus led all of us. We're already here, so we're already two hours in. Help us to spend time with you each day. Help us not to be alone, but to spend time with your people. 
And let us make efforts with the things that we do and say to be more like you this week. Help us to serve others and give us opportunities to share the good news with people who don't know you and also to help those who do to know you better. Use us in this way, Jesus. Give us that foretaste of your perfect life. And we pray this in your name. Amen.